Y'all ready for week two of keeping up with the Johnses? Keeping up with the Johnses. Who came up with that name? I did. I did. You can blame me. And I like it. I will not apologize for it. Keeping up with the Johnses. We are in week two of going through the three epistles of John. First John, second John, third John. Last week, in part one, we looked at the first half of First John. And you may remember that we kind of, we honed in on this theme that God is light. That he is this pure, perfect light. The darkness will never overcome him. And, and so our response is to try and let go of the things of this world and contend for those things that make for unity, purity, and peace. That if Jesus is the light of the world, we are called to reflect his light. And the closer we are to him, the more brightly we shine his light into this world. We also started our reading and writing plan. If you haven't gotten yourself a bookmark yet, they're on the back table and they're in the front table as well. And we are going through reading through these together. But not just reading, we're also writing our way through the scriptures together. And uh, I kind of set you up for a challenge with a full chapter of writing a day this past week. Did anyone start that and be like, whoa, Nellie, that's a lot of words, right? Small book, a lot of words when you write it. Well, have no fear. If you didn't try it out that week, I encourage you to start tomorrow with Second John. It's only three verses, much shorter than a full chapter. And we're writing out the scripture to marinate a little bit more in God's word and seeing what we find when we slow down a little bit. I'd love for you to join us starting with Second John tomorrow. But today is part two of First John and keeping up with the Johnses. We're talking about how God is love. Perhaps the central most theme of the Bible could be wrapped up in the idea that God is love. And as we go through this letter, it's important for us to remember that John, he is not calling us to impossible standards. He is, he is calling us forward into who we should strive to be. And in all honesty, when I first read like chapter 3 in particular, and it's talking about do not sin. If you love God and you're in God, you will not sin. And I'm like, well, hold on. I just like sinned like a minute ago. I didn't mean to, but I did. Forgive me, God. Does that mean I'm not in you? Well, no. He is calling us into what we should aspire to be. And he is giving us grace on that journey. Because what he's saying is, those who live continually and knowingly in a repeated sin, that's a problem. Everyone sins, but it's our goal to work forward to sin less. So John is calling us forward to give us a goal and inspire us to dream bigger than our own doubts allow. And we're talking about God being love today. Love embodied, love defined. So we're going to kind of follow that thread through a bit of this letter, starting with John, 1 John 3. We're going to read a few different sections. We're beginning with verses 1 through 3. Hear the word of the Lord. See how very much our Father loves us. For he calls us his children, and that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world do not recognize that we are God's children because they don't know him. Dear friends, we're already God's children. But he has not shown us yet what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be 
like him, for we will see him as he really is. And all who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure, just as he is pure. God's love is greater than we can ever fathom. And the sheer fact he calls us our children is truly awe-inducing. He says, that's my child right there. He looks at you and says, you're my son. You're my daughter. I gift you my name and your identity is found in me. And his love is so great that it's going to transform us to be unrecognizable to the people who do not know God. They'll look at our lives and they won't quite understand why we live the way we live. That we, we stand outside of what kind of the way the world is going. And it's not just like things like uh, the music we listen to, you know? Like sometimes people are like, you listen to that, that Jesus music, they'll call it, you know? Oh, yeah, I do. And uh, it's a little different for them. Or some of the weird words we use, you know, Christianese, we talk about that. Like verily and thys and thous and brethren and stuff. Most people don't talk that way. <laughs> uh, maybe we don't talk that way either. But we use a different language. But it's not just that. They'll start to notice in our lives that, hey, Christians, we don't fear death. We don't, we can, we can rejoice in the midst of sorrow and suffering. That we have this joy that Allison was talking about that, that cannot be hindered. It cannot be stifled. It's an everlasting burning joy because it is found in Jesus. And we can be at peace when everything around us is in shambles. We can love sacrificially. We can surprise people with our love and not expect anything back when we give generously of our time, our gifts, our finances. To others, they'll say, whoa, that is foolish. Why'd you give so much? Why'd you do so much? That is not appropriate amounts of giving, but that's how we are called to live. And so people will look at us like something's different about them. So verse 1, it tells us who we are. We're children of God. Verse 2 tells us who we are becoming. Reflections of God, just like we talked about last week. And then verse 3, it is a call back to seeking to be pure, just as Jesus is pure. And that is our quest for living a life of unity, of purity, and peace. But we do that with the knowledge that God word tells us the more we reflect Christ, the more we will stand out in this world. Because our allegiance is not to the world, but to the creator of the world. Let's pick up on verse 10 through 13 of chapter 3. So now we can tell who are children of God and who are children of the devil. Anyone who does not live righteously and does not love other believers does not belong to God. This is the message you have heard from the beginning. You should love one another. We must not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and killed his brother. And why did he kill them? Well, because Cain had been doing what was evil. His brother had been doing what was righteous. So don't be surprised, dear brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. Welcome to Hope Church. We are encouraged to tell you the world may hate you. But first it says, if we don't love others, 
We don't belong to God. Love is a mark of a Christian. It's an identifiable trait of a Christian. If you have not love, you have not Christ. We know the song, they'll know we are Christians by our love. And it comes from Jesus' own words. That's found throughout the scriptures, but specifically in the Gospel of John, chapter 13, Jesus says, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And he says, you've heard it from the beginning, to love one another. He reminds us of the greatest commandment, to love God with our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love others, our neighbor, as ourselves. Now we know that's not nearly as easy as it sounds. Those are nice words that are a lifelong challenge to live into. And John illustrates for us, he proclaims that if we step forward and we stand out on God's love, the world may respond with hatred toward us. Not only may they not understand us, they might actively stand against us. See, the lives of those who are godly, they contrast with those who are not. The ambition is different. The driving force of our lives is a little bit different. Everything we do has a different skew on things. So if we live for God, his word says the world will hate us. They won't just misunderstand us. They may even judge us. And if we are living righteously like Abel, then it says we may just make others realize, oh, they're sinful like us too. And Jesus warned us of this hostility. He said in uh, John's gospel, if the world hates you, keep in mind, it hated me first. If you belong to the world, oh, it would love you as its own. But as it is, you do not belong to this world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. We know this is just our, our mission field right now. It's not our final resting place. This is not our final home. We are citizens of the kingdom of God, first and foremost. And Jesus has called us to carry our cross, to, to live a life full of sacrifice, to stand out from the world around us and stand firmly on his truth. And when we do that, yeah, the world may hate us. They may not understand but God's love for us will remain. So the question we are forced to consider, who do we seek to please? I'm a people pleaser by nature. And it's probably one of the hardest things about how God has made me uh, in trying to seek to follow him obediently. Because I want to please others. I want to make everyone around me happy. But the question is, do I care more about what others think than what God thinks? And if so, there's some work to be done. And I wonder if you resonate that with that. Because we have one to please, one alone, and that is God Almighty. And he calls us into this greatest commandment, to love him and to love others. So perhaps the world will respond to love with hatred. We will respond to hatred with God's own love. That's what Jesus did. That's what we're called to do. 
Let's press on into verse 16 of chapter 3 here. It says this, We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and our sisters. If someone has enough money to live well, sees a brother or sister in need, but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let us not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong, that we belong to the truth. So we will be confident when we stand before God. Because of Jesus, we know real love. It's not a phony imitation. It's not a selfish expression that is misnamed love. We know real love found fully and completely in Jesus Christ who gave up his life for us. And what we read is that real love leads to action. It's a lot more than just a feeling. Real love produces sacrificial giving. I've been pondering this idea a lot lately, and it's this idea that good intentions do not express love. Good intentions don't express love. Our actions, our words, how we live expresses love, but our good intentions do not. I have a ton of good intentions. Oh man, if you knew all my good intentions, you'd be like, give that man the Nobel Peace Prize. Look at those good intentions. What a good intended man. And I imagine you have so many good intentions too. Like, you have so many incredible ideas of things you should do. Oh, I should do that. Oh, it'd be really good of me to do that. We think of all these ideas, and if we did them, it'd be a total life changer. It'd be a game changer. You know that if we acted on those things, that that God's light and his love would just spread like crazy if we all acted on those. But the problem is, we struggle with moving from our intentions into becoming reality, don't we? That's my struggle. Sometimes my intentions, it doesn't lead to action. And there's an even deeper issue with that. You see, good intentions trick us into thinking we're better than we are. Because we view our own identities, not just through our actions and our words, but also our thoughts and our own intentions. And that's how we view our identity. We know our identity is found in Christ, but when we view ourselves, we think, of the whole thing. But there's a gap because everybody else, y'all don't know all my good intentions. So you judge who I am based on my words, based on my actions, what I do and what I don't do. And so there is a gap. But real love leads to action. So what would it look like for us to take our I shoulds and turn them into I wills. That's what I want us to consider. Here's, it's the primary challenge even for us this morning to turn our intentions into actions, to eliminate the I shoulds. So I'm trying to train myself that each time I think, oh, I should write that card now. And then I'll forget about it. I'll never write that card. To turn that I should into I will write that card and either do it right then if it's possible or set a time to make it happen. And so I wonder what that might be for you. Oh, I should take that meal to that couple who just had a baby. And I know they're probably struggling. They haven't asked for anything, but no, I shouldn't should. I will take them a meal. 
Or I will mow that person's lawn when I know the, 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 the family is away because of a surgery. Or I will call that person. I will text that person. I will give that word of encouragement. I will go to that group I was thinking about. I will serve in that way. I keep saying I should, I should, I should. No, you know what? I will. What would it look like if all of us, even just three times a week, changed an I should into an I will. Oh man, look out. That's what I have to say. And then we consider Jesus Christ who put it all out there. He left no shoulds behind. I don't even think he knew the word should. He knew the word should. He's Jesus. (laughs) He knew the word should. But I don't think he used it. I don't think he used it because he went to the cross faithfully. He did that. He died for us. He rose again. He did every single good act of love that was before him. And the reason is what we find in 1 John 4, starting at verse 7, where it says this, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Praise be to our Lord and Jesus Christ. It's the central theme of 1 John, and I dare say perhaps the central theme of our faith, that God is love. He's not just loving. He is love, which is unfathomable. He is the definition. He is the overflow, the embodiment, the fullest realization. Love would not exist without God because everything we know about true love is found in him because he is it. And what many call love, if it's not grounded in God, it's just a poor imitation because God is love. That means every single thing that God does is an act of love, for he is love. Every single thing he does is good and pure and loving. Dallas Willard once said, never believe anything bad about God. I love that. Seems like a simple phrase, but but sometimes we question God, and it's okay to have these questions and, and these struggles and these wonderings. In fact, it's healthy to have those things. But at the heart of it, always remember that God, oh, he is good. He is so good. He is so loving. He is so pure. God is love in its purest defined form. And so what we find is that love is the answer for why God creates. He, because he loves, he creates people to love. God, it's the answer for why God cares. Because he loves us, he reaches out to sinful people 
It's the answer for why God gave us the freedom to choose him in the first place. Because he longs for a willing and a loving response from us to follow him. And he does that all out of his love. It is the answer for why Christ died. Because his love for us moved him to offer a solution to the problem of sin. It is the answer for why we receive eternal life if we put our faith in him. So that God's love will express itself to us forever. God is love. So what is our response to God and his love? You've heard it here several times in this reading today. It is to return that love. It is to spread that love. It is to live that love. Because love is the ultimate work he calls us to. To love others as he loved us first. He calls us to love, to give, to sacrifice, to turn our shoulds into wills. Because Jesus Christ did that for us. And if God is love, then when we love, God is glorified. So how might we live the love. Our tagline here, it's a summary of our mission statement, is love, live, lead. To love Jesus, to live like Jesus, to lead others into a living relationship with him. Could say that's really the mission statement of all God's people. So how might we live in that love? To love like Jesus. To live like him, as his word calls us to. So how can we Love better today. Y'all are a bunch of loving people. Man, I know that. But love expands as we grow into it. So how might we love even deeper than we already do? And what shoulds are in our lives right now that we will flip to wills today? You see, when I think about this, when I think about God— God could have used I should. He could have seen a sinful, hurting, broken people and say, you know, I should help humankind with this problem of sin, with these chains that are binding them, that is drawing them away from me. He could have said, I should do that, but I'm just going to kind of go over here and create some more galaxies. He could have said that. He could have said, I should pave a way to everlasting life when before there was only death. But I kind of rather just hang out away from them, go up into heaven and chill with the angels. He could have said that. Could have said, I should consider sending my spirit to give them an ongoing presence of the power of God to dwell with them, to inspire them, to encourage them, to convict them, to open up their word to understand me more. I should do that but it sounds like a lot of work. He could have said, I should, but he didn't. He didn't. Because love incarnate doesn't use shoulds. Our God did pave a way for humankind to free us from our sin. God did pave a way to an everlasting and eternal life when all we had deserved was death. 
God did send his spirit to dwell within us, to be present with us. And God did, through his son, Jesus Christ, his perfect son, Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, who in the greatest act of sacrificial love became the sin of the world and died upon the cross in our place. And we know and we proclaim again today that three days later, he rose again from the dead. He proved that love conquers all. And Jesus Christ prepared his disciples for that truth before going to that cross with the meal that we celebrate today. It is the promise of a loving and lasting relationship between us and God. That word covenant we use, he established a new covenant. That is a ongoing, non-breaking relationship with us. And we know that the bread, just as he took that same night and he broke it, this represents the very body of Jesus Christ that broke for us. And we know that the cup represents his blood that was poured out and shed for us. All this he did out of the depth of his love for us, his children. So that all who call on him as Lord and Savior, who have confessed our sins before him, are truly sorry for our sin, we may feast at this table and remember and receive his assurance of everlasting life and relationship with God Almighty. At this table, we celebrate that sin has no power over us, that love has won. We celebrate that death is not the end, for love is victorious. We celebrate that we don't navigate this life alone, for love binds us together in his spirit. Today, it is our honor to feast at this table, a table of remembrance, of celebration, of assurance, of hope, and of love. We praise the name of Jesus Christ who has done this for us. Amen.